0: Shalom, shalom, friends. Welcome, and thank you so much for being here. What a wonderful opportunity to learn about Hanukkah in the Bible. We're privileged to have our great partners from Bethel here, and the opportunity to have an intro from Rabbi Mitzan Stein and perhaps even partially from Professor uh, Stein Koken as well. We'll see. Um, and, um, uh, and then we will have the chance to launch into an exciting presentation. Uh, right here in the week of Hanukkah, and then an opportunity for some engagement and some back and forth. So please, uh, Rabbi Steinko can take it away.
1: Yes, hello, on behalf of Beth El, I'm very excited, Professor Brettler, that you are here with us today. This is always an interesting topic. I get so many questions. Um, of con- from congregants, and so welcome on behalf of Beth El, welcome everybody from the Beth El community and the wider Phoenix and online community of Valley Beit Midrash. And uh, I, I'm excited to listen and I'll hand this over to my husband, Dr. Stein to give you a little bit more of the honor and kavod you deserve.
2: Hi everyone, so I'm Tovim, Hanukkah Sameach. Yeah, it's a great pleasure for us to have with us today, Mark Zvi Brentler who is uh, the Bernice and Morton Lerner Distinguished Professor of Jewish Studies at Duke University. Alongside first-rate biblical scholarship on topics such as God as King in its Israelite context and the Book of Judges, Professor Brettler is also highly involved in working to make academic research on the Bible accessible to wider audiences. On this front, he is the author of the 2005 How to Read the Bible and the 2012 The Bible and the Believer* how to read the Bible critically and religiously. And he has also served as an editor for the New Oxford Annotated Bible and the Jewish Study Bible, two of the most important contemporary editions of the Bible in the English language. He is furthermore the co-founder of the Torah.com, a clearinghouse of articles on Parashat Shavua, Jewish holidays, and a range of other themes. It's definitely worth going surfing there if you haven't already. And I'll add, in particular, there's lots of great material on Hanukkah, so definitely make sure to do so at some point uh, in the coming days. And I would be remiss were I not to mention uh, Professor Brettler's direct role in two of the most intriguing recent ventures with regard to the Bible and Jewish-Christian relations. The 2011 Jewish Annotated New Testament, yes, you heard correctly, Jewish Annotated New Testament, and last year's The Bible With and Without Jesus both co-edited or co-authored with Amy Jill Jill Levine. And now an equally intriguing subject awaits us today, since if we know or think we know anything about Hanukkah and the Bible, it's that there isn't anything to know, that Hanukkah does not appear in the Bible. And yet here is Marks Brettler today to speak precisely on Hanukkah and the Bible. We're excited and welcome.
3: Thank you very much. I'm very excited to be with you. It's really wonderful. And I must say, you know, it's hard to do new things in introductions, and that was a very lovely introduction. But I think that was the first husband-wife introduction I ever had, and I very much appreciate it. So happy Hanukkah to all, and let's get started in terms of background, just to make sure we're all on the same page. So for Hanukkah, we're talking about the second temple period, but I need to move back to the first temple period, just so it is clear who is ruling over Israel at various points. So to remind you all, the first temple was destroyed by the Babylonians in 586. And before that in 597 and in 586, some number of Judeans uh, were captured by the Babylonians and went into exile. The Persians Persians captured Babylonia in 539 and a year later in 538, Cyrus the Great offered the Cyrus Declaration, told told the Judeans living there that they can go home. Some did, many did not. And then in 332, Alexander the Great conquered the area of Israel from the Persians. As you might recall, um, Alexander the Great was not long lived. And after he died, his kingdom was broken up into a variety of parts. And Israel always has the misfortune of being between great empires. In this case, uh, one empire, which was in Syria, the Seleucid Greek Empire, and another empire in Egypt, the Ptolemies. And Israel moved back and forth between those two empires, eventually being ruled by the Seleucids, who by and large were very reasonable overlords and rulers, with one exception. The exception who is going to be crucial for today, namely the Seleucid Greek king, Antiochus IV Epiphanes, who reigned in these years, you could see, 175 to 164. For reasons which are unclear, and let me emphasize that again, reasons which are unclear, this particular king had serious issues with Jerusalem and the Judeans, and had a set of, and persecuted them in a variety of ways. Again, it's difficult to know exactly how to use sources from that time, but certain things seem to be pretty clear. Uh, the most significant of which for us, is that the temple in Jerusalem, a temple to the God of Israel, was turned into a temple for the high God Zeus, the Greek high God, and various Jewish central practices, such as circumcision, such as observing the Sabbath were were prohibited. Again, it's very hard to know exactly how to use the sources from this period. So at some point, a number of Jews, I think we could use the term at this particular point, I'm happy to discuss that term and it's later in the questions and answers, came together under the family of uh, Judah, Judah Mac- called Judah Maccabeus, and rebelled against the Seleucid Greeks. This rebellion began in 167 BC continued until 164 BCE, and they are old ult- and ultimately this family was successful in removing the Greeks from Jerusalem and from much of the area of Judah. At that point, the temple, which had been, I'll put in quotation marks, because I'm saying this from a Judean perspective, was defiled by becoming a temple to Zeus needed to be rededicated. And the term Hanukkah means dedication or in this particular case, rededication. And with all of this as historical background, now we're able to start to look at Hanukkah in the Bible. And I'm gonna say something which may surprise you because as Jews, we think we have a very clear notion of what the Bible is and what the Bible should be. But I'd like to remind you, and in this whole talk, I'm going to take advantage of the fact that the Bible means different things to different people and contains different books for different religious groups. So here, I'm only going to talk about three religious groups. If I wanted to, I could extend this to Eastern Christianity, as well, which would complicate the picture uh, even further. But when we think of the Bible, so going all the way to the left, we think of the Tanakh, we think of a Bible, which from a Jewish perspective, contains 24 books, divided into three parts Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, and that's really quite simple. But the term Bible is a highly contested term. And this is really important to realize, especially when we're living in America and discussing the Bible, maybe that should be in scare quotes with different people, that different people understand the contents of the Bible differently. So thus, what we have in the middle, the Holy Bible, the new international version or the NIV is the standard or a standard Protestant Bible. Thus, it not only contains the books of the Tanakh as the Old Testament, but in a different order and organized into four rather than three sections. Again, happy to discuss these general issues another time or in the Q&A. And what might be called the Jewish Bible is only a part of the larger Christian Bible because the Old Testament is of course going to be followed by the New Testament. So thus, whether or not Hanukkah is in the Bible will really depend on whether, at least initially, we're talking about the Jewish Bible or talking about the Protestant Bible. But now let's complicate things even more. Let's move to the Catholic Bible. The Catholic Bible has more books in the Old Testament, I'm using that term on purpose from a Catholic perspective, than the Jewish Bible. And these are a set of books which appear in the Septuagint, in the ancient Greek translation of the Bible, but do not appear in the Hebrew. These are books which have some canonical status within the Catholic Church. Thus, they're sometimes called deuterocanonical but they do not have a significant religious status within the Protestant church, who calls these books Apocrypha. These include books such as uh, the Wisdom of Ben Sira or Sirach and especially relevant for today, two books of uh, Maccabees, 1st and 2nd Maccabees. So again, 1st and 2nd Maccabees are going to be part of this Catholic Bible, but are not going to be part of either the Jewish or Protestant Bible. Thus, whether sort of tricked you in the way in which I phrase this question, especially to a Jewish audience, because the issue of whether or not Hanukkah is mentioned or is significant in the Bible is really going to depend on whether we're speaking of the Jewish Bible, the Protestant Bible, or the Catholic Bible. And with that as an introduction, let's start with the most famous rabbinic statement about Hanukkah. And I just want you to note how unusual the introduction to this is, and to note how unusual it is that this particular text appears in the Babylonian Talmud I don't want to get into the dating of the Babylonian Talmud. This is now getting more and more contested. But let's say sixth or seventh century, it contains earlier sources. This may very well be an earlier source, but it's very hard to date the earliest, how early these sources are. And as is well known, it begins with a very, with a question which to us living in America in 2021, where we know about Hanukkah, is a very strange question. My Hanukkah, what is literally Hanukkah, or what is the reason for Hanukkah, where an earlier tradition is indeed adduced, talking about the fact that uh, this starts on the 25th of Kislev, which indeed is today, and then it emphasizes first, no one it emphasizes first, what is prohibited no lamentation for the dead and no fasting. It then explains why, because the Greeks entered the temple, defiled all the oils, not not the temple in general, but here the focus is on the oils. This Hasmonean dynasty prevailed over them, defeated them. Then there was only one little jug of oil with the seal of the high priest, meaning that it was ritually pure. And then there was a miracle and the single lamp lit for eight days. And the following year, these days were appointed a festival. And what is indication of a festival that you recite the special collection from Psalms, Psalms 113 to 118, Hallel, and who knows if Thanksgiving was or is not something else. So this is a source, you know, let's say for convenience that it is from the sixth century or so. And the real question that I want to look at today is which elements of of this particular source are present in earlier sources. So if the Talmud is the canonical Jewish text, which here is quite a few centuries removed from the events which it purports to discuss, uh, a more significant Jewish text, which is closer to the date, is by the great Jewish historian Josephus who lived in the early century, in the early decades of the common era through the end of the common era. He participated in the great revolt against Rome. He wrote a variety of books, one on the great war, another one, a retelling of Jewish history. The beginning of it is a retelling of the biblical story. Often this contains what could be called Proto-Midrash, but then it continues from beyond the extent of the Bible. And here, Josephus is probably notes. He's not living at the time of the Maccabees. He's probably using this source from First Maccabees, which we'll take a look at soon as his main source. He changes. He changes it, and again, he talks about purifying the temple, offering the appointed sacrifices, and uh, previously lamenting what was going on in the temple, and there was a great fight, the temple was ultimately purified. Thereafter, he had carefully purged it. He brought in new vessels. So he, all the, it looks like all the central vessels, the candelabra, the table for what is called the showbread, the incense altar, which were all made of gold, were restored, again, The structure of the temple was restored, special veils covering the Holy of Holies, took down the altar, which we assume was the altar to Zeus, built a new one, followed the biblical law in constructing that particular altar, namely that you cannot have used stones, which are hewn with iron iron tools. And finally, on the 25th day of the month of Kislave, in other words, today, They lighted the lights, phota, as in photograph or photons, that were on the menorah, offered incense upon the altar, laid the loaves upon the table, and offered whole burnt offerings upon the new altar. So note, a number of activities happened, and all these activities are associated with what was central to the temple. The menorah was central. So uh, that was relit. The incense altar was central, so the incense could begin again. The showbread was central. This type of vegetable offering given to God was central. And finally, the burnt animal offerings were central, and all four of these happened. And note a couple of things. It does refer to lighting the light, but this is one of four things that is happening here and absolutely nothing about the miracle of the oil is mentioned in this first century source. So these things happened on the very same day where three years earlier, the divine worship had been reduced by Antiochus IV Epiphanes and the temple had been desolate had been desecrated. So this is a call for great rejoicing. So Judah and everyone rejoiced at this restoration. Again, note, they're happy about the restoration of the sacrifices. This is happening for an eight-day period. Great feasting, praising God. They are totally delighted. They regain their right to worship properly. And therefore, they decided, this festival should be commemorated annually for eight days. And here we have a funny or noteworthy comment, which no one really knows what to do with. And from that time to this, so again, we're talking about, about three, uh, 250 to 300 year period, depending on exactly when this was written. And from that time to this, we celebrate this which we call the festival of lights. Again, the same word that is used above in Greek, phota, "phota," the festival of lights. Now, why is it called the festival of lights? I could have tricked you. and And had I been teaching this in purpose, I certainly would have tricked you. I would have omitted the end of the sentence. I would have asked you, well, why is it called the festival of lights? And you would have said because of the miracle of oil, but note what Josephus does not say and what he does say. It's called the Festival of Lights, because I imagine, and this is quite noteworthy, he's not even quite positive why it is called the Festival of Lights. Because I imagine beyond our hopes, this rite was brought to light. And so this name was placed on the festival. So it looks like the name the Festival of Lights here in Josephus has absolutely nothing to do with the miracle of the oil, which is first mentioned explicitly in the Babylonian Talmud half a millennium later, but it is a known name for the festival, and it looks like light is being used metaphorically in this particular text. Now, again, some of you might say to me, well, hold that." Isn't there something about lining lights and the miracle of the oil in the special prayer that we add for Hanukkah, that we add both in the Amidah, in the regular prayer that we recite three times a day, and that we also add in the grace after meals, the Birkat Hamazon, the prayer Al Hanisim for or concerning the miracles, which has a beginning, which is shared with Hanukkah and Purim. And again, as I note up here, we're not quite sure when this prayer was composed. But please note, in that prayer does not mention the miracle of the oil, even though it is so easy to read it in that context. Because what it does say is that after the temple, was reconquered by the Jews. Your children came to the Holy of Holies in your house. They cleansed your palace, purified your temple, and they kindled lights in the courtyard of your sanctuary. And they established these eight days of Hanukkah to give thanks and to praise your great name. So it is significant here that there is something special going on with lights, but you do not even here have the tradition of the lights that are related to the miracle concerning the oil. And actually, if I now finally move to the Bible itself, the first place that I'm going to move to is both the Protestant and the Catholic Bible to talk about- on the- to talk about uh, Hanukkah in that broader Bible. And again, thank you very much for your introduction for mentioning the Jewish annotated New Testament. This That is indeed what it looks like. So in the fourth of the gospels, John, just to remind people, there are four gospels in the New Testament There were many other gospels that circulated in ancient Christianity that were not canonized, did not make it into the New Testament. The first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are closely related one to another and are called the synoptic gospels. While the fourth gospel, John, does not have as many similarities to those initial three gospels, though it may have known them it is more of an outlier. And John notes in a very manner of a fact way, at that time, the festival of the dedication took place in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple in the portico of Solomon. So this t- festival of dedication, clearly dedication uh, in the Greek, is related to the word Chanukah. If it were in a broad context, we might think that the festival of dedication is Sukkot, the fall harvest festival, where according to the book of First Kings, the temple, the first temple was dedicated. But note, this is an unambiguous text. This is the festival of dedication, Chanukah, which is transpiring in the winter, so this is one of our earliest. This is, this is a lovely irony, isn't it, that the earlier one of the earliest references to Hanukkah is in the New Testament, which of course was originally a Jewish book, written largely, if not entirely, by Jews. Written largely for Jews, so it should not surprising that the author of John is making a calendrical reference to Hanukkah, and it is called the Festival of Dedication, and it is not called anything having to do with lights in the way in which Josephus calls it, and as the notes in the Jewish annotation New Testament says, it is unclear how this feast was observed in the first century which is totally true. We do not know, but we do have a sense that there was a feast. We know that it was called by at least two different names. It was called a Feast of Lights. It was called a Festival of Dedication. Maybe different groups called it by different names. Maybe different groups celebrated it in slightly different ways. We are really not sure, but significantly, if you're talking to somebody who is Christian, it is 100% clear that Hanukkah is mentioned in the Bible. And this is even more so if you talk to somebody who is Catholic. Because as I mentioned, there are several books called Books of the Maccabees, at least four of them that were written in antiquity. Two of them, made it into the Septuagint, into the Greek Bible, and thus made it into the Apocrypha, into the Catholic Old Testament in some sense. And if you want to read more about these, since in the introduction you were kind enough to mention the Torah.com, Professor Daniel Schwartz of Hebrew University just wrote a great piece for us on the difference between 1st and 2nd Maccabees, where they were written, who wrote them, their different perspectives. But an important thing to realize about 1st and 2nd Maccabees is unlike books, which are called, at least from the Christian perspective, which the Jews then borrowed, 1st and 2nd Samuel or 1st and 2nd Kings, where let's say 2nd Kings is a continuation of 1st Kings. 1st Maccabees and 2nd Maccabees are different texts, probably uh, certainly written by different people, probably written originally in different sorts of la- in different languages, and thus these really are different sources with different perspectives on the events surrounding one sixty seven to one sixty four BCE. These did not make it into the Jewish or the Hebrew Bible. Even though they were originally certainly Jewish books. I'll come in a minute why they may have been excluded, but certainly a book that was originally written in Greek was not going to be included in the Bible. And as my collaborator, Amy Jill Levine, says about these books, the Catholics got the books of the Maccabees, and we got the holiday. And she and I agree that we got the better deal concerning this. So here we go to 1st Maccabees. And again, let us see what is both written there and what is absent from this particular account. And I remind you, as I said earlier, it very much looks like Josephus is using this as his main source. Again, it's happening in the 25th day of the ninth month, so we're counting months from Nissan, from the spring at this point, Rosh Hashanah in the fall is not yet Rosh Hashanah because it would be the third month from the perspective of Rosh Hashanah. Gives you the month, gives you the year. They began the sacrifice and that is really what is emphasized. They are rededicating the temple with great joy, celebrating the dedication for eight days, burnt offerings, Everyone assembled and they made sure that this is going to be an ongoing celebration. A rather laconic description. The description in second Maccabees is a little more detailed in some ways and offers one significant hint for concerning the origin of Hanukkah, and especially the very odd fact, that Hanukkah is an eight-day festival rather than a seven-day festival, as for example, Passover is. So again, this goes back to what Josephus says as well. On the very same day that the sanctuary was profaned, it was purified. And this is seen as a significant sign of divine providence. They celebrated a festival for eight days and they rejoiced carrying ivy-wreathed wands, beautiful branches, and also fronds of palm. So of course, the fronds of palm should remind us all of Sukkot, where you carry the lulav, the fronds of pond, along with all sorts of other agricultural products, and this term, beautiful branches, is significant because you might think that the Torah in Leviticus chapter 23 specifies that you need to take an net rogue, but the term used there is pre-eitz-hadar, is the fruit of a beautiful tree. And that is exactly what is referred to here in 2nd Maccabees. In other words, what they are doing here is they are commemorating Sukkot two months and a few days later. And again, they're offering hymns and so forth. And there's a decree that these should be observed forever. So thus, you start putting this together and especially using the second Maccabees as a central source. It looks like, well, one of the things that we know is that Sukkot was perhaps the most central festival in second the Second Temple period. It could be central, unlike Passover, because it is after the harvest season is done. So you truly could come to Jerusalem. You could do Aliyah Regal. You could ascend to Jerusalem, and you could enjoy yourself because you're mostly done Uh, with the agricultural season. The crops have been picked, and the rain has not yet begun. It is not yet time to sow the new crops. And that is why, in both biblical and rabbinic literature, Sukkot is called Hechag, the festival. And what is going on here is, they missed celebrating Sukkot. And I remind you that in the Bible, for example, in Leviticus chapter 23, Sukkot sort of straddles being a seven and an eight day festival. The text there is incredibly complex. It says you should celebrate a festival for seven days, but then tells you what you should do on the eighth day, which in rabbinic literature becomes Shmini Atzeret which in some ways is part of Sukkot, in some ways is not part of Sukkot. But altogether, this becomes a seven plus one day equal 8 day festival, which was the most central of the festivals in Second Temple times. Clearly, the commemoration of it was mixed, it was missed, excuse me, there were still palm fronds around, and therefore it was celebrated Uh, if my arithmetic is correct, two months and 10 days later. This is a new Sukkot. And of course, celebrating Sukkot then makes sense to go back to something that I said earlier about the way in which um, the dedication of the Solomonic temple is described in the book of First Kings. That too is happening on Sukkot. So Hanukkah originally as an eight-day festival is a replacement for Sukkot, which was missed that year, or missed for three years, because the temple had been defiled and the Jews were unable to come there. So why are these texts found in the Christian Bible and not in the Jewish Bible? I can't give you a definitive answer. Well, certainly texts about Jesus are not going to be found in the Jewish Bible. They will be in the New Testament, whether it's in the Protestant or in the Catholic version. But what about the Apocrypha? And here, and I admit my, that my reasoning and the reasoning of other scholars is circular, and I'm going to come to this more specifically in a few minutes. The latest events in the Bible, in the Hebrew Bible that are recorded, are from some time between 167, namely the defilement of the temple by Antiochus IV, Epiphanes, and 164, the cleansing of the temple. Therefore, books such as First and Second Maccabees, which were written after 164, are, did not make the cutoff. But nevertheless, and this is three things that I would like to end with for the next 10 minutes or so, even though there is no long description of Hanukkah in the Bible, number one, the run-up to Hanukkah is described in the Bible in the book of Daniel. Number two, there is probably at least one tiny snippet in the Bible where somebody snuck, an editor snuck Hanukkah into the text. And number three, there are some other works that are found in the Bible, which influenced the way in which Hanukkah developed and was celebrated. So let's start with a lead up to Hanukkah. The Book of Daniel, worthy of several hours of discussion. The book is in two parts. The first half is a bunch of miracle stories about Daniel and his friends. The second half is a bunch of visions, which are visions of an ideal sort of future, which are mediated by an angelic figure. The technical term used for these visions, which are also seen in the New Testament book Revelation and in some books found among the Dead Sea Scrolls such as sections of the Book of Enoch. The technical term for this type of literature is apocalypse or apocalyptic literature. In chapter 11, you have a history, sort of an allegorical history uh, that is described that starts with Alexander the Great, who is a great warrior king. And after he dies, his kingdom is broken up. That is what I started with the second slide. This kingdom is broken up to his various generals, including the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. And there would be none other like him. The text then continues. I'm skipping all the intermediate kings. So I'm going from uh, the 320s when Alexander died to 167. Where again, there is no explicit mention of Antiochus here, but there is a description of a king who desecrates the temple, sets up an appalling abomination, likely a reference to the statue of Zeus. There is a persecution of many people who suffer captivity and spoliation. This king does as he pleases. He exalts himself. This is a time of wrath, at least for a certain number of years. He honors his own God and so forth. And the description of this king ends here, excuse me, here in verse 39. Daniel chapter 11 from verse 1 to verse 39 neatly fits everything we know about Alexander the Great and his successors. Starting in verse 40, the story in this chapter has nothing to do with what actually happened with the history on the ground. The author is simply making up what he thinks is going to happen next. This evidence suggests that this section of Daniel, perhaps the entire book of Daniel, in its final form, was written after 167 BCE, namely after the persecution started, but before 164, after the temple had been cleansed. And the same thing is true with this reference in Daniel chapter 9, where this he is likely Antiochus IV, who is changing laws and so forth. So thus, as I say, in terms of the Hebrew Bible itself, you do not have a description of Hanukkah, which is a cleansing of the temple in 164, but at least in these two places in the book of Daniel, you have this allegorical sort of figurative sort of description of the despoiling of the temple, the events that led up to the cleansing of the temple in 164, which ultimately were commemorated by Hanukkah. There is a piece, I believe, and again, for all of these things, there's some of the Torah.com pieces that you can take a look in more detail to find out more material. If you just look up the Torah.com Hanukkah, and please be sure to put the word the before Torah, you'll be able to find all of these pieces. The introduction to the psalm that we recite every morning at the end of services for Hanukkah has a very odd superscription or title. It runs in Hebrew, because it's really only in Hebrew that it sounds so strange, Mizmor Shir Hanukkah Tabayit LeDavid. Now the JPS, the Jewish Publication Society translation, like most other translations, cleans it up, a Psalm of David, a song for the dedication of the house. But if you're able to follow my arrows, you'll see how strange that translation is. It takes the first word and the last word, a Psalm and of David and reads them together, ignoring the three words in the middle and reading them as a separate sentence. Stated differently, a literal translation of this verse in Hebrew would be, Psalm, a song of the dedication of the Temple of David, which is rather nonsensical, and that is my point. Where I and others would like to suggest that this Psalm originally began, Mizmor le David. And here is an indication that this is likely to be correct, because very often in superscriptions of psalms, you have the word mizmor, a psalm, and the word david, david, in these superscriptions. But outside of this verse, they are always adjacent, either as mizmor le david, or sometimes the order is reversed, le david mizmor. They are never interrupted by a number of words in the middle. This suggests to me, as a critical biblical scholar, that these middle words, shir, chanukat, habayit, a song of the dedication of the temple, or maybe the song of the dedication of the temple, are a secondary addition that were added by somebody in the second temple period when I think already Psalm 30 was used at some point in relation to the rededication of the temple or commemorating the rededication of the temple in the year 164, where Psalm 30, and I don't have time to go through the whole Psalm now, would have been used for that purpose for a variety of reasons. First of all, the psalm, as I note here, deals with the total reversal of fortune and defeat of enemies, which is exactly what the Maccabean victory was. But again, I'll point out the psalm is originally a psalm of the individual, not of the community. So it would not have made sense for the psalm Uh, to have originally been written to commemorate that victory. And there are other good reasons to believe that Psalm 30, other than three words in its first verse, good reasons to believe that the Psalm is from the first temple and not the second temple period. But there's an additional reason why Psalm 30 would have been connected to Hanukkah. In the books of the Maccabees, there is a group which are called in Greek, which is a transliteration from the Hebrew, chasidim. And Psalm 30, verse 5 says, Zameru ladonai chasidav, O you chasidim of the Lord, sing to him. And thus we can imagine how after the Maccabean revolt was successful, a number of people would have looked to the book of Psalms and would have said, oh my gosh, Psalm 30 is prophetic. It was talking about us. It was talking about the defeat of the Hasidim over the Greek Seleucids. It was talking about this remarkable reversal of fortune. And more than that, they not only read the psalm in relation to Hanukkah, but I and others think that they added these three words, Shir Chanukat Habayit, or the song of the dedication of the temple in this psalm because they connected it to Hanukkah. So it might be a very, very short reference But indeed, there is a reference to Chanukah in this three-word secondary phrase. Finally, the third phenomenon I noted is certain texts which influenced Chanukah as it came together. So as I said a few moments ago, the dedication of the first temple was at the feast, which means Sukkot, and was commemorated as an eight day festival and Sukkot was missed. And more than that, the cornerstone for the second temple was laid likely in the year 520 BCE, either on the 24th or the 25th of Kislev. And thus that is uh, when the first second temple, Hanukkah, in some sense was, because that is when the second temple began, um, that is when people began to rebuild the second temple, and that is also what is commemorated in relation to Hanukkah, and to confuse things, or maybe not, and you'll see this on the Haftarah, this Shabbos for Hanukkah, that in re- that there are two main books from the Second Temple period dealing with the rededication of the temple. There is the book of Chagai, which gives this date either on or right before Hanukkah for the rededication. And Chagai's contemporary is Zechariah, who has a vision of a menorah. My th- that have had some role in understanding lights and lights in relation to Hanukkah, of the pulling out of lights as a more significant element. And here I'm going back to Josephus, more significant than the altar uh, for uh, burnt offerings, more significant than the incense altar, and more significant than the show bread. Maybe the fact that these texts were connected brought menorahs and light into the picture in a significant way. So to bring this together. So Hanukkah, I want to say is not, but is barely in the Jewish Bible, is certainly in the Christian Bible. In the Jewish Bible, you have pre-Hanukkah references, in Daniel, what led up to Hanukkah, the possible Hanukkah snippets in the superscription of Psalm 30, and precursors to Hanukkah in Sukkot and commemoration of the dedication of the first and the second temple. But nowhere do we have in the Bible what we associate with Hanukkah, the oil miracle or certainly dreidels or gifts. And the earliest mention of the oil miracle indeed is in the Babylonian Talmud. Some of you may find this to be disturbing but I do not. I find this encouraging. Even though I'm a biblical scholar, I certainly believe that not everything Jewish needs to be biblical. And part of being Jewish, as I say here, is appreciating how Jewish ritual develops over time and and how each of us even needs to think about our role in contributing to the development of these rituals over time. And with that, I will wish you all a happy Hanukkah. I will stop sharing my screen, and I'll be delighted to take questions from you.
0: Amazing, I see a first hand up here from Rabbi Michael Belinsky.
3: Hi, Rabbi Michael Belinsky. It's a pleasure. Hi,
0: Professor Brettler, good to see you. Thank you, uh, yeah. that was wonderful. Um, I guess in the last point you made, um, About the the appreciation, the development of Jewish ritual and seeing that, and 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 seeing that as part of your whole, I think, religious understanding. and, And but it's still we still the popular notion of Hanukkah is not just an evolved ritual, it's a story that's claiming a certain history in terms of the miracle of the oil. So that the fact that you listed you know, on, and there's no mention of dreidels and gifts. You're right, uh, but big deal. Um, so I guess, is there, is there, how do you see that religious, t- do you see more of a religious tension there or how, how would you sort of explain that piece?
3: I would explain it as the, the light, the significance of light is very important, even in early Hanukkah texts, in early texts related to Hanukkah. So to bring this together, perhaps better than I did in the presentation itself, uh, you have it in Josephus, where again, it's a very, very strange text. You have it in Al Hanisim, you know, Kod they lit lights, you, ha- you have it Uh, in some other, you have it in Josephus also is one of the four elements emphasizing the rededication of the menorah. And I think that this notion of lights being so significant to this text, to this festival of dedication uh, was floating around. And I think at some point, someone in the tradition and I'll use the word created, created the tradition about the oil. And I like, was really wondering as I am as a scholar, as I am about Josephus, now why did, why is this called the festival of lights? Why are all these sources emphasizing lights more than other elements, such as the rededication of the temple? And I know some of you are vegetarians, so you'll excuse me, the, you know, restoration of animal sacrifices and so forth, which clearly was so important in that particular era. And people were wondering, well, you know, why is it called the Festival of Lights? And I cannot point to the person who first created this idea. I and mean, all I can say is it was created by the time of whenever that tradition quoted in the Babylonian Talmud was done as an effort to uh, understand the name of the festival. I mean, that's really the best I can do. And I'm, you know, I know it's not historical, but you know, quite frankly, I mean, I know, I know that there are a lot of things that we commemorate, which are not purely historical. So uh, I, I, for me personally, I, I don't find this any more disturbing than many of the other Jewish rituals that I do, which I know have a specific beginning time in history. What is so surprising about this particular ritual is we really do not understand any better than what I just said uh, of how it just started. Okay, you good, you good enough with that, Michael? That's yeah, best, no, that's
0: fine. That, that's, that's very the best helpful. Question, Thank Joe. you. That's, Professor, that's, Brettler, Professor Brettler, Professor we have questions pouring in. Uh, our next one is from Wendy Razov, who um, asks, "Any comments on the prominence of women's stories related to Hanukkah, Judith and and Hannah's and Hannah's uh, and her sons?"
3: Um, great, of course, that could question.
0: be a that could be a class itself. But if you want to share some, yeah, that, that
3: that is a whole class. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it it is significant, and that's that's very important. Uh, these are not stories that uh are, well, the story of the seven sons, I think is in 4th Maccabees, it's not in 1st or 2nd Maccabees. And Judith, of course, is a book, which is in the Apoc- also a book in the Apocrypha, so it's going to be a Catholic book. Yeah, uh, these are in clear indications of Second Temple literature that are fully uh, considering women to be part of the community, and women are absolutely central to what is going on according to those particular sources. Now, I just emphasize those particular sources because when you read first and second Maccabees, you do not get that picture. So there are some some texts from that period, and that's good, I'd rather have some than none that are very much emphasizing the significance of women within the traditions concerning the the festival of Hanukkah. So great question, thank you. Next time I give this, I'll have to throw that in as a footnote, so preempt it.
0: Amazing, amazing. So there's a few questions in the chat, uh, but before we get to those, I see Myra has her hand up. Oh, and also Abby, yes, Myra then Abby.
1: Thank you. So I actually have two questions. One of them already went into the chat. Um, But the second question is that relating to um, why light became prominent, and our rabbi here, Rabbi Scott Glass, has always talked about the rabbinic tradition being to de-emphasize the military victory. And I wonder if you have a comment on the need to de-emphasize it, and also to what extent is it um, historically validated? And then I'll just tell you my second question. When you, when you posted um, the slide of 1st Maccabees, there was a reference to the year 148, and I didn't understand what that reference
3: was. Okay, good. All right, I'll start with the second question first, because that's an easy question. Uh, in antiquity, uh, they were not counting from creation, and there were different systems of counting. You could see a, a good discussion of this uh, Essays at the back of both the Jewish Study Bible and the Jewish Annotated New Testament in the calendar section talk about these different systems. And there was a system that was used, what is called in Hebrew, uh, and used by Jews, of minyan shtarot, which had to do with the beginning of Seleucid rule. So that that was one way of counting. So that's an easy one. Uh, Yeah, about the rabbis de-emphasizing the military might. Uh, Most people, and I think I do as well, agree with uh, what your rabbi has said, and again, this is for both internal and external reasons, and that's important to emphasize. There's an internal reason where sort of Jewish ritual has more importance than Jewish power, and that's important internally, especially if you're relatively powerless, okay that's especially going to be true when you know in the 4th century after christianity becomes the official religion of the roman empire but secondly also to the extent that uh, what you're saying makes claims outside you really do not want to make a very loud claim that you are small and able to defeat the great and mighty empires so there for both internal and external reasons uh, the military might ends up being de-emphasized. And of course, it also is going to be de-emphasized because remember, the, the uh, earliest, among the earliest rabbis, the rabbis of the Mishnah are living after the terrible defeat of the Kokhba revolution. So they're living in a period in which military might did not succeed at all, both in reality and again, if you look, this is a question about history, but if you look at the section that is part of the Yom Kippur liturgy, the martyrology, I mean, the, uh, rising up against the Romans was a terrible decision. So that it, this notion of rising up is not against, the superpower is not something that rabbis living after the Bar revolution of 132 to 135 of the common era would tend to emphasize.
1: Thank you. And then I just want to add, as I was asking the question, I realized, I think it is actually the last line of the Haftorah of Zechariah, um, not by power, but...
3: Yep. Yes.
1: So then it's ironic that the state of Israel chose the menorah for, for its emblem, in a way.
3: Yes, that that is quite an irony, but that's the menorah gets Stephen Fine and he'll give you a whole talk about the menorah.
2: Very good, okay, Abby. Okay, thank you. I wondered if you could say a little bit more about the the dating of the text in the Babylonian Talmud. I, I think mm-hmm. there's a connection to Migilat Tanid, which I just pulled up on Safaria, but I know there's like the gloss on Migilat Tanid, which I don't fully really have straight in my head. So whatever you can uh, say about how much earlier than the editing of the Gemara that story might be, would be helpful.
3: I could say, I wish I could answer you, Abby. All I can say is that it is earlier than the editing. And there's a debate among scholars uh, of whether this is a Beraita, an earlier source from the land of Israel. And if it's an earlier source from the land of Israel, then it is going to be significantly earlier, or if it is so called a Babylonian Brita and whether Babylonian Brita really exist. And if they do exist, how much earlier they are than the ultimate codification. So I really wish I could date this particular text. I can't, and yes, this is connected to what is called, you know, the scolion the type of commentary to Megilat Tanit which also is a little hard to date. If you want to look st- See more information about that. Uh, Vered Noam wrote a piece on Megila Taanit and the Scolion to it for the Torah.com. So take a look there.
0: Okay, friends, I think we're just at time here. So we thank you all for joining. I'm sorry if we didn't get to some of your great questions. Um, and thank you, Professor Brettler, for this excellent presentation. Uh, very to... very exciting. Yes.
3: I want to thank all of you. There are a few of you out there I really do know in person. So it's a pleasure to see you. And thank you very much for joining me uh, this afternoon. And I hope you all have a wonderful, wonderful Hanukkah. Thank you. You Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you. Thank you.